Episode number six of High Times Presents Free Weed from Danny Danko. We are doing something a little different this week. We've had uh, uh, an earthquake and a hurricane, so we're expecting locusts next. We, uh, we might have to evacuate the building. We're doing a slightly shorter show. We're going to try to get in about a half an hour, but uh, we're going to do it heavy on cultivation. We don't want to deprive you of free weed. We're going to do this thing every week. So uh, our thing is, is you know, whether wind or rain or storms or ice, you know, icicles falling from the sky. Yeah, you had, to, you had to swim here today, right? Exactly. There was no subways. There was no buses. There's no – the bridges have all collapsed. So, yeah, I swam up the East <laughs> River. You were so dedicated to, to giving away free weed that you made it to work. You know, you got here – Absolutely. Storm. Absolutely. So, uh, so what's going on with some of this background noise that we're going to be hearing today? Well, there's a photo shoot going on here in the studio. Uh, we, because of the truncated schedule, uh, we have a photo shoot going on. It's actually a really interesting story that we put together for our January issue. It's uh, 25 grow products for under $100. Uh, a bunch of little gadgets that can help you increase your harvests and boost your yields. But affordable things that you can do. Um, nothing's going to break the bank, but there's all these cheap, you know, cheap and simple products, uh, that will help you to get more free weed. So, uh, look out for that in our January issue. My, uh, colleague Nico Escondido is putting that together. Uh, and that's pretty exciting. So Man, we're, we're just surrounded by products here. All these, uh, these yeah, 25 products like under a hundred dollars stuff and drying things and all kinds of, uh, uh, just grow products from across the spectrum of, of different things you might need for indoor, for outdoor, uh, for greenhouses, uh, pretty much something for everybody. And, you know, the idea is that these are, these are cheap, but they're effective. And so that's pretty exciting. Um, we're not going to have an interview this week. We do have uh, some extra special guests for next week, which will be very exciting. One thing I wanted to mention about this uh, hurricane, though, uh, we're not doing news either, but there's one bit of news I thought we should mention, which is somehow uh, the hurricane brings about a lot more mushrooms. And I'm talking psilocybin, you know, mushrooms growing. Yeah, the, the fun ones, right? The fun yeah. ones. I mean, I love all mushrooms. I'm a big <laughs> uh, fungus uh, aficionado. Uh, but, you know, there's the edible ones like chanterelles and stuff, and then there's the ones you only eat at certain times. And right, yeah. uh, for some reason, which we really don't understand a lot about mushrooms, we know a lot about uh, herb growing, and there's been a lot of scientific, uh, you know, research done. But as far as mushrooms, they don't really understand them. These, this, they're, you know, the the uh, we know that the mycelia are these like single-celled organisms that tr travel underneath the underground and sprout. You know, the mushrooms are the, you know, spores that sprout up right the fruit of the. Uh, the fruit of the night, as I like to say, 
because mushrooms are not plants and shouldn't be confused with plants. They're a fungus and they don't need light to grow. It's really just mycelia and moist conditions. But hurricanes in particular, I think something they do to the earth. Well, I think the, the idea is that there's spores and then the winds help to spread the spores. And, the and usually with a hurricane, you've got some moisture, you have some humidity, and those are ideal growing conditions for, for the mushrooms. So you get more mushrooms after a hurricane. Yeah, yeah, and maybe there's Some a little more a to it than side. that. Yeah. You know, we really don't know. But the cool thing is, if you're going to have all this damage, and believe me, there was serious damage upstate and in Vermont, in Vermont, places where yeah. they're grow. I know. I mean, New Jersey think of got how many really innocent hard. pot plants lost their lives uh, due to this storm, and it's just uh, it's a tragedy in that way. But hey, if we get some uh, some fungus out of it, at least you know maybe we can salvage those. Uh, those drought times that are that'll show up later. All right, so my patented phrase. Without further ado, we are going to take a break, and we will be right back with some serious cultivation info, our strain of the week, and a bunch of Dear Danko questions. Stick around. Welcome back to our hurricane-shortened show here, Free Weed from Dandy Danko, presented to you by High Times Magazine. We are going to talk about flowering, and we're specifically going to focus now on the last two weeks of flowering. Now, this doesn't matter uh, whether you have an eight-week strain or a 12-week strain. The last two weeks are the last two weeks, and during this time, uh, the most important thing to think about is flushing your plants of nutrients and any kind of excess salts or minerals that might be caught up in there. Uh, any excess of those is going to lead to a harsher burn. So, and and you're not really going to be putting on a lot of weight during this last two weeks either. So you really don't you don't want to add any new nutrient, and you really want to use plain water with every watering pH balance, plain water. Um, Another important thing is to understand that, you know, the lighting stays the same. A lot of people talk about reducing CO2 levels during these last two weeks, but it's really not necessary. If you have supplemental CO2, you can keep that going. Um, some interesting things about UV light are coming uh, to people's understanding. We're going to have an article in the near future, I think our February issue by Greg Green, uh, noted cannabis author, about using UV light during this last period just to develop uh, more essential oils and things like that. Um, you don't uh, you don't want to reduce your flowering time or anything. Just leave it at 12-12. And, you know, basically just focus on a lot using a lot of plain water and flushing out any, any kind of... Uh, you know, salts and, and things that might still be caught up in your uh, thing. And also, at this point, <laughs> at this point, buds uh, tend to, uh, let me see here. It's tough with the photo shoot, right? Yeah. But yeah. you got you guys, you got to see this scene. <laughs> hey, it's amazing, just, you know. We yeah. need to bring you your free weed, but we uh, we have, you know, a scene around us, and there's yeah. a lot of stimuli, and Dan, oh, yeah. Dan is easily distracted. So <laughs> We are get, multitasking here. We're going to we get through it, though. We're multitasking, we're and multitasking is something you can do, too, during this time, because 
Uh, you should be preparing your room for harvest. You should be basically winding everything down. A lot of times I go into people's rooms in the last two weeks and the, the branches are falling down and they're far away from the light and everything's kind of a mess because, you know, they feel like they're in the home stretch. Always make sure that your branches are standing as close to the light, you know, as you normally would have them. Don't allow this period of time to be uh, a slacker time where you're just using plain water and you're not focusing on what your plants need because they still need light. They still need uh, – they're, they're doing a lot of work at this, at this point in developing those uh, trichomes and finishing them out, getting them too cloudy and somewhat amber so that you'll know when to harvest. And that's the thing too. Don't just count on what the seed breeder told you was the flowering time because things could have happened during your flowering cycle that set you back a week or two. The important thing is to look at the trichome with a loop or a microscope or some kind of way to magnify it and get it to the level where mo most of the trichomes have gone to cloudy but not to amber. And you'll see a few amber ones and you'll see a few clear ones, but as long as the major focus is on uh, just starting to get cloudy and filling out inside the head of the trichome. Um, that's when you know you're at the peak harvesting time. And the only way to really tell that is to actually get in there with something that will magnify it. Um, uh, using the percentage of red hairs and things like that, those are like outdated ways of figuring out how to harvest. And, and the seed companies, in fact, they have a vested interest in giving you a shorter time so you'll be more likely to buy the strain. Oh, this sativa finishes in 50 days. Well, I don't think a sativa dominant plant is going to finish in 50 days and they might just be shaving off a week or two uh, to encourage you to purchase it. You know, All seed companies are, are somewhat guilty of shortening their flowering times for what would I would consider the peak harvest time. And some strains, some long-flowering sativas have harvest windows that, you know, there's one at 10 weeks and then there's one at 12 weeks. So keep that in mind. In these last two weeks, uh, plain water is important and constantly checking for ripeness and potency level. Like, you know, if you take the plant when uh, these trichomes aren't fully formed, then you're doing yourself and any patients a disservice. So always make sure you're checking that out. Um, learn a lot. Learn as much as you can about trichomes and how they work. The the cuticles, the wall, the basal cells, stipe cells, endoplasmic reticulum, secretory cavity, the vacuole, the plastid, the vesicle. All of those things are uh, parts of of this tiny thing called the trichome. And and learn about it. <laughs> All right. Um, now we are getting into our strain of the week. And uh, all these strains are available in my book, The Official High Times Field Guide to Marijuana Strains. We've got Cannabis Cup winners, Top 10 Strain Award winners, and basically over 130 different varieties um, that have won various awards. And this week's winner, uh, this was a Top 10 Strain winner in 2007. This is really one of my personal favorites of all time. The Strain of the Week this week is Super Snow Dog, and this was developed by uh, our buddy Chemdog. Um, it's available, or versions, similar versions are available from Top Dog Seeds at thcfarmer.com. Uh, what I really love about this is it's kind of a, it's more of a sativa dominant chem strain, which most of them seem to be very indica dominant. And this one, uh, 
This one actually ends up finishing pretty fast, eight weeks' time, but it's got this really sweet taste that you don't get from some of the other Chemdog family of strains. And so to me, this is like a real, a real connoisseur aficionado strain. It gets really frosty, and it actually fills out pretty nicely when given room for a sativa, for sure. And Kem uh, actually has told me, he, it, it, the quote from him in my book is uh, that the snow dog is the Oregon snow male crossed with the male super skunk. Then a male from that cross was chosen to pollinate the bubble Kem, which is Kem's sister times Sagamartha's blueberry. So the result of that cross became the super snow dog. So you've got some pretty, uh, you know, some royal genetics in there, some real uh, fancy stuff. And it all comes together into quite a uh, quite an amazing strain. As far as growing it, uh, he recommends growing it in at least five-gallon containers. I definitely would concur. Um, vegging it out for a full month indoors. Uh, if you do that, you can get well over a quarter pound per plant uh, under 1,000-watt lights. So this is a sativa that actually can fill out. And, and, I mean, the bag appeal and the odor on this is just off the charts. Really amazing strain. And that's that's you know, one of the reasons I chose it for top 10 strains in 2007. Um, another reason is the first time I smoked this with chem, it actually pretty much dropped me to, to my knees. You know, I had to get down on my knee. I started to get, uh, the sweats a little bit and I really, you know, they thought I was going to turn green. I, I needed a little, a little time just to, uh, kind of get over how incredibly potent it was on that sativa side with, uh, a real heart racing, uh, you know, real uplifting, but almost to the point of, you know, palpitation kind of high. And I, you know, it took me a minute to get myself together. The photographer and Kem were both kind of um, laughing at me for that, but I'll never forget it. And that was uh, my introduction. Now, keep in mind, you know, Kem rolls cannons. So <laughs> this was like, you know, a uh, uh, middle finger size spliff. Uh, that's the snow dog, and that is our strain of the week. Um, very excited to answer some questions. We got a bunch of questions from Twitter, right, Mike? Yeah, some Twitter questions again. Awesome. Um, yeah, let's just start it off. We got a couple here. Nice, nice questions. Uh, Cody Bridges wants to know what are some good strains for treating multiple sclerosis. Now, this is an interesting question because it seems right now that that treating particular illnesses with particular strains is sort of an inexact science it's sort of anecdotal is that right yeah no it's definitely anecdotal but uh certain symptoms can really be uh focused on obviously with ms uh it's a muscle pain that's that's a body pain that people develop and i think indica dominant strains are going to be your best bet for any kind of body um, ailments like that um, if I had to suggest a few, I would say, you know, Afghani, anything with Afghani in the name typically would be uh, pretty indica dominant. Hash plant, you know, something like that. That's available from Sensi Seeds. Uh, LA Confidential from DNA Genetics, that's a, a real proper indica dominant strain. Uh, MK Ultra from TH Seeds. Uh, of course, the Blueberry, the original Blueberry from DJ Short, that's, that's a real indica dominant uh, plant that would that you know that's what we hear it's basically from anecdotal evidence but you know you can kind of tell if people you know in, have insomnia you're going to want to give them something that calms their their body and if people are you know looking for that 
cerebral high that you get from a sativa, then they're going to go in that direction. Um, you know, luckily we have people in medical states that are figuring this out and really getting a handle on um, which strains work for what. Right, and then the more evidence they have, the the better it gets at matching up what works for what ailment. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely, and and you know, marijuana affects different people differently. So it's not, and it it'll never be an exact science, but it will, uh, it definitely will improve. All right. Well, I uh, hope that answers Cody Bridges' question. Uh, back to Twitter. And, and how do people get a hold of us on Twitter? What, what would they do to tweet us a question? Well, they can either uh, tweet the question to at Danny Danko or uh, with the hashtag uh, FreeWeed. All one word, just uh, number sign FreeWeed. Uh, we check those every week, and that's where we get our internet questions. Some of those I answer in my column in High Times as well because I'm always looking for questions for the uh, Q&A column, Dear Danko. Um, so some of these get answered on the show, and they you know, they wind up in the magazine as well. All right, so back to Twitter. AJ Racine wants to know, any word on the Michigan Cup, the, uh, the Detroit Cup in October, with all the dispensaries going down? What's going on with that? Well, all the dispensaries did not go down. Some went down, and some decided to close, but there's still... Uh, you know, what, from what I've heard, well over 100, maybe even 200 that are still open. And, uh, you know, our event goes on. We plan on showing up. Uh, you know, we're going to give it more of a protest angle. We're going to obviously, you know, try to get people involved in, in changing this, uh, this decision and appealing this, uh, this judge's really unfortunate decision to shut these dispensaries, which have been such a godsend to the patients of Michigan. Um, they still also have the caregiver thing going on, so we're going to put a focus on that as well, and we want to shine a light on uh, the caregivers and what they're doing for the patients of Michigan. Um, this thing is in Detroit. We're working on getting some pretty pretty great uh, musical guests as well for the VIP party. We've got a panel uh, that Bobby Black is putting together uh, uh, that's veterans on pot, and that's going to be really interesting because they're going to be talking about post-traumatic stress syndrome and all the benefits of medical marijuana for for veterans of American uh, wars overseas. Uh, if you want more info, like I said, that that cup is on and Amsterdam cup is on. I know there's been some confusion, but both of these cups are definitely on. Get your tickets. Uh, if you want more info about the medical cannabis cup uh, in Detroit, October 15th and 16th, check out medcancup.com. Uh, there's links there to, that'll tell you everything. There's frequently asked questions, and, and you can buy your tickets uh, online right there. Um, for Cannabis Cup in Amsterdam, same thing. Just check out CannabisCup.com or HighTimes.com, and you'll find all the information you need. But not to worry. These events will go on, and you know we this event is going to be in direct protest of that decision. So we're going to try to mobilize the activists and the patients of Michigan to – uh, repeal, you know, whatever uh, drawbacks have happened and end up uh, with a better law. All right. Well, there you go. The cup is on in Michigan. So that'll be good. October 15th and 16th. Uh, back to the questions. We have a few uh, general Twitter questions asking basically what can a, a cannabis grower do to protect their crop during a storm like Irene, which just hit you know the East Coast and right. did a lot of damage here? What can they do to protect their plants? Well, uh, the funniest answer that I saw to this question was my colleague Nico Escondido. Uh, he said three words, 
inflatable pot, inflatable containers, right? Inflatable soil containers, so that they would uh, float <laughs> in the storm, and maybe maybe they wind up uh, a few blocks away, but you can at least uh, you know recover the plant and bring it back to the to your yard or wherever it is. But uh, more seriously, though, the these storms do do a lot of damage, and anything you can do to protect the plants is good. Uh, ideally bringing them indoors if they're outdoor plants is the best. Uh, if they're indoor plants and your power goes out, you know, it's really good to have a generator on hand that you can use for, for that two or three days that it, hopefully it'll take to get your electricity back on. Uh, that way you don't miss a beat as far as your flowering cycles and your plants don't sit in three or four days of darkness, which can actually shock them and, and uh, really freak them out. So... A generator is great indoors. I mean, obviously, if the storm rips your your roof off, you, you know you're going to have serious problems. Uh, another thing you can do outdoors uh, is keep the plants in a greenhouse, a well secured greenhouse that's not going to fly away. But a greenhouse will protect the plants from this heavy, heavy rain, uh, and you can control the temperature inside the greenhouse a little better too. Uh, as long as you, the gre- the walls of the greenhouse are sturdy and strong and the, the whole thing doesn't fly away, you can do that. Um, you know, Anything you can do to secure the stalks so that your plants don't fall down. And if you do go out after the storm and you have branches that have fallen, you can still tie those branches up, tape them up, do whatever you can to keep them secure. You'd be amazed how uh, resilient the cannabis plant is. You can break it uh, off, and as long as a little bit is still secure and you tape it and uh, secure it back, it will stay alive and it will still yield a lot. Just get it off the ground because if it's touching the ground, it's going to mold and die. All right. Well, there you go. Uh, we got uh, two more questions here from Twitter and both are kind of tech heavy. So uh, if it's okay with you, Dan, I'd like to bring in uh, High Times Director of Technology, Craig Coffey, and maybe you guys can can answer these questions together. Yeah. No, absolutely. Let's uh, Let's see what we can find. All right, terrific. Well, uh, Fat Kojak with a PH, so it's not Fat Kojak, but it's Fat Kojak. Right. Yeah. Okay. From um, the Twitter. From the Twitter, he uh, he wants to know: Do we currently have a system to benchmark original genetics? Like, is the Jack Herrer you're buying really Jack Herrer? Well, I think the short answer to that is is we don't have an actual system, uh, Craig. I think you'd agree. Pretty people are pretty much left to their own devices. I mean, there's a lot of testing for potency yeah. levels and things like that. But Yeah, even that is kind of a variable, though, because that can vary from grow to grow, fertilizers, conditions. Right. You know. um, it, it's interesting, just recently in news, it was announced that the cannabis genome had been decoded. Uh, I guess that's a step in the direction of what we're talking about, but even with that, you'd still need to take thousands of samples and compare them to each other at a genetic level to start to find markers that could even identify one strain from another. Well, you know, a curious thing, I actually had heard a few years ago that the uh, the DEA was working on something like that where they could actually trace clones by their genetic markers and actually like... What? Unfortunately, when the DAA is doing their evil stuff, all they really need to do is look at two samples and see if these two samples are connected because they're just trying to connect two grows together. They're not really trying to look at a big picture of the cannabis planet. They they don't necessarily care whether that's Jack Harrow or not either. I mean, it's just marijuana. To my understanding, what the DAA was working on was just an ability to say, yes, this grow and this grow are connected by a genetic chain. Right. Now, I mean, at some point in the future, we will be able to 
map out and say, okay, this is a Kush. It obviously has these genetics. I think it's inevitable that we'll get to that point, but honestly, I just can't see it happening until marijuana gets off of Schedule 1. It's something that would take a serious research project. Right. Well, I guess in the meantime, uh, people can just sort of develop their palate and figure out, okay, well, Jack Hare, Super Silver Haze, these are very similar, you know, if not the same or almost interchangeable strain in a lot of ways, the way people refer to them. I would say there's definitely strains that are a lot more identifiable just from your nose and your taste than others. Some strains are very unique and easy to identify, and others kind of right. blend together. And Right, like Strawberry Cough, we would never mistake that for anything right, else. Right, or Jack Herrera or even Sour Diesel. Some of these are just unmistakable. Yeah. Well, I guess... Uh, the answer to the question is that there's really no way for sure to know, but that the more that you learn about weed and the more strains that you're exposed to, the more you'll be able to figure out what you know what you're dealing with and what uh, you know whether that is actually Jack Hare. All right, cool. Let's uh, let's keep Thanks. Craig here because we got one more uh, tech-related question for him. It's also from Twitter. It's Corbin Nickerson, and if that name sounds familiar to you, it's uh, because this is the second time we've responded to Corbin Nickerson oh, keep, on air. I think you, if we do it one more time, he gets a free hat. I'm All pretty right. sure. We'll, we'll send him something. We'll, we'll send, send him a free him. hat or something. We'll send him something for sure. Uh, Corbin Nickerson via Twitter. He wants to know, uh, what is the best technique you have come across for uh, hash making? Wow. Okay. This is uh, – this is interesting too. There's so many techniques out there now for hash making. There's uh, ice water extraction techniques, which have been getting more and more refined. In fact, my friend Nick T in Denver, we have an article coming up uh, in a future issue about his method, which uh, is pretty interesting, completely solventless. And then there's this whole, uh, you know, use of solvents that's going on. It's somewhat controversial, right, Craig? I mean, uh, yeah, I would say so. I would yeah. think uh, if if you're going to ask me what kind of hash do you want to smoke, I would say solvent hash. If you're going to ask me what kind of hash do you want to make, I would probably say bubble hash. Right, yeah, because Water the process hash. of making these solvent hashes can be quite dangerous, especially when people don't heed the warnings and they try to do this indoors and stuff. You're dealing with a very volatile uh, product when you're using butane or hexane. And, uh, you know, we've read about these explosions that have happened. It's really just devastating uh, in a lot of ways. But, again, if the product is made right under the proper conditions, it's really one of the most potent and flavorful and most interesting sort of uh, extractions you can get. Well, even bubble hash, if you have the best bubble hash you've ever seen, it still has the, sol- the cell walls that make up the trichome, right. and that's not THC or a cannabinoid or a terpene. A solvent hash goes even a step further, and it just removes the oil and terpene right. and cannabinoid, so, and that's all you're left with. So when butane is blasted through uh, cannabis... It actually just takes the essential oil. If you look at a a sample of cannabis after it's been blasted with butane, it looks to the eye to be identical from the starting point. But if you look at it under a jeweler's loop, the trichomes look almost like when a locust is on a tree and it leaves the shell. It's it's all there, but it's hollow inside. It's it's been gutted. I mean, that's the thing. Isn't butane also how they make rosemary oil and all of these oils for the perfume industry? And I mean, that's how they make that. Yeah, stuff. they a, just do it under. Uh, it's less a non-toxic uh, solvent that is fat, lipid, and oil soluble. So it's what it's been a standard for a long time in right. stuff like perfume, even food. I guess the important thing is you want 
if 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 you are going to undertake this process, first of all, do it outdoors in this very safe place with no sparks or anything like that. Um, make sure you dissipate this gas because very very few parts per million can create an explosive situation. Yeah, I would also recommend a few at least college level chemistry classes before you even start to think about doing something right. like this, you know. Yeah, and okay, well butane, uh, you know, it is a controversial subject. There's a lot more I guess we could be saying about it. All I will say is uh, you know, if if you're going to try to make this stuff just be smart, don't do it in a hotel room. Uh, you don't know, do it indoors at all. Don't period. do it indoors at all. But learn learn about the process before you ever try to do it, and understand that even with you know tasmanian machines and things like that, there's always um, you know things that can happen that you know can be catastrophic. So really, really be careful, and if and and always know that there's alternatives. You can make solventless with ice water ex- extraction that are you know 60% THC compared with you know 75 or so for these. You know, somewhat more dangerous ones to make. And um, as far as patients go, uh, if you're out there purchasing this product, you want to make sure you get a clean product that's made with clean gas. Because there's, from what I've heard, Craig, I think there's various levels of purity in the gas that people use. Absolutely. um, Butane goes all the way from medical and food grade all the way down to the stuff that you could buy at Walmart to to put into your, your lighter. And you but get that, has odors at, that has odor agents added, that has The propane. manufacturers add markers to the gas so you could tell if the, your can is leaking or something, but you don't want that in something you're going to smoke for sure. Right. Well, I mean, I guess, you know, uh, when this stuff first came out, I wasn't, you know, I, I didn't really understand. I mean, I, it's great. It's strong. It tastes good. Uh, it gets you very, very high. Um, but sometimes you do have to consider the costs of its manufacture. And so that's why I'm just encouraging people to, you know, do some research and don't just jump into this. Your your life is at stake, and third degree burns is nothing, nothing fun. Yeah, that's true. And that's and you're talking about manufacturing. Um, this stuff is not any more dangerous to smoke than bubble hash or anything like that. The materials, for the most part, if it's being done properly, are non-toxic and should be fully purged from the final product as well. Yeah, well, I think you know different people making it have varying levels at which they purge. Personally, I'm more concerned about things like pesticides and fertilizers that's in my cannabis than right health health dangers from smoking BHO. Cool. Well, you know, this argument, I guess, or this discussion could go on and on. I'm going to uh, cut us off right there because we're right around at the 28 uh, minute level or so. Um, thanks a lot, Craig. Um, thank you to my producer, Mike. Hey, thanks, Craig. We appreciate it. We got one more quick Twitter question. Uh, if that's good with you, you got yeah, time for yeah, one more. No, just a quick one uh, from Salazar's Boxing. I guess it's not really a question. It just says, for my birthday, Dr. Drew versus Danny Danko in Celebrity Death Match, and Snoop Dogg can be the referee. Whoa. I'm going to make it a question. If you had to fight Dr. Drew in some sort of enclosed environment to the death, who would win? Is this a is this a argument or an actual physical confrontation? This is an actual physical confrontation. Uh, you wow. guys are fighting apparently to yeah. the death, according to Salazar's boxing. I mean, so geez. you're fighting Dr. Drew to the death. You can't talk him to death. You right. can't. Well, why you know, do you need a referee? To death. Is it, isn't it just whoever dies first? No, but loses? here's the thing: if Snoop is the referee, I think you have a bit of an edge. Yeah. Well, I would. 
I would definitely take Dr. Drew in a all-out death match. For you're sure. saying you'd beat him. You would kill Dr. Drew. If I had to. I mean, you're saying I like have to. Like you would literally just murder him. No, you have to. Someone right, has right. – they have your, your kitten in a van somewhere. They're right. going to do something horrible to yes. it if you don't he, fight he Dr. Drew. A chance. Yeah, and I have more <laughs> anger at him than he has at me anyway. I think that's uh, – yeah, he's already half dead anyway. Yeah. Some of the stuff I've heard him say. But yeah, I've got I've got anger on my side because I'm I'm not a big fan of his. Not a big fan. No. All right. Well, happy birthday, Salazar's boxing. Danny yeah, Danko. Happy birthday, bro. Danny Danko would would you say destroy? I would say that I would destroy Dr. Drew in a death match fight. I could probably destroy him in an argument about weed too, about cannabis and its benefits. Could you beat him at chess? Maybe. I'm Russian. <laughs> I'm pretty good at chess. All right. Well. Thank you very much for sticking around for our Hurricane Shortened show. We're going to take a break, and we'll be right back. All right. Thank you so much, everybody, for sticking around for our show. Sorry for the noise, the background stuff. We're multitasking here. We're trying to get a, uh, <laughs> uh, we're trying to get a lot of stuff done here. Uh, in one nice big studio. Um, yeah, you know, the hurricane slowed us down, but it didn't stop us. Uh, all you people upstate, Vermont, New Hampshire, uh, Massachusetts, you know, I hope some of the plants survived and we can, uh, we can taste them later in the, uh, in the fall. Our podcast will be back, uh, next week with some really special guests as well. Um, check me out on the Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin show. That's a pot, another podcast by my friend Jeff Rubin from College Humor. Uh, He interviewed me for an hour uh, earlier in the week, and his podcast is pretty funny. And the other shows are are, are hilarious too, so check that out. That's the Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin Show on iTunes. It's got visuals. It's got an interview with me. I think you know the focus is uh, that I have the coolest job or or something like that. It's all about working for high times. And um, yeah, check it out. It's very funny. He's a he's a funny dude, and he's got had some interesting questions to ask me, and definitely put me on the spot a few times. So that that was fun. And uh, yeah, contact us at hightimes.com slash freeweed. Uh, go to iTunes, comment. You know, uh, give us some some. Uh, some stars over there and big us up man free weed uh we have a facebook page you can email me at dan at hightimes.com um yeah free weed thanks very much peace see you next week